Greetings, and welcome to the YBCA 10 podcast. If you're unfamiliar with YBCA, this is the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, a cultural anchor rooted in San Francisco, California. I am Dr. Tanisha Singleton from Crux XR, a Black Creatives Cooperative partner and friend of YBCA, and it is my pleasure to guide and share with you the remarkable stories from the YBCA 10. YBCA centers artists as essential trailblazers, activists, and torchbearers for social movements and civic engagement. In April of 2021, the YBCA announced the launch of the YBCA 10, a cohort of artists the organization would work with in deep relationships over the course of a year, allowing time for their creative practice to lead us as a community and larger society towards a more equitable future. And this podcast is dedicated to amplifying and directing warranted attention to each member of the 10. Over the past nine months, the artists that make up the 10, dancers, photographers, wordsmiths, architects, technologists, farmers, and multidisciplinary practitioners, each have been working with each other and in their respective communities to both imagine and design creative prototypes that directly address racial justice and climate equity for the betterment of community health and well-being. And again, I am thrilled to share observations and great conversations that I've had with the 10 to showcase their artistry, letting you in on their journeys, cultural inspirations, and the remarkable work they're doing, all while advancing the essential role of art and activism. It is my pleasure to kick this podcast off with one of the celebrated artists from not only the YBCA 100, but also the esteemed 10 cohort. Nikiko Masumoto. Nikiko is a Yonsei, or fourth-generation farmer, at the Masumoto family farm. Though she grew up on her family's peach farm, she came to farming herself through a journey that included a BA in Gender and Women's Studies at UC Berkeley and an MA in Performance and Public Practice at UT Austin. In an agricultural world where 86% of farmers are men, most landowners are white, and few are queer, she employs art and creativity to access her power as an organic farmer. Welcome, Nikiko. How are you? Tunisia, thank you for being here with me. I'm feeling definitely the sweat of the earth today. Yes. <laughs> awesome. What is your color of the day? I know you always like asking me that and, and stuff, and I just love that question. So now I literally wake up like, what color am I going for? <laughs> so what is your color for today? I love that question too. Um, <clears throat> I'm thinking today feels like a striped day. It feels like bright yellow and like a turquoise background. Nice. That's, that's what my day feels like. Look, kind of full of energy um, and also some kind of um, like that beautiful discordant color Ooh. combination. Um, so that's how I feel. How about you? You know, I'm feeling kind of like a like a cinnamon apple like kind of orangey kind of brownish just reddish just some earth tones you know I'm feeling but when you said stripes I'm like yeah so I'm thinking of like that earth palette of just like that kind of rich cinnamon reddish kind of tan and brown feeling oh, it sounds soothing yeah definitely what what I'm going for for going through the, you know, the back end of this week. Definitely. But I can't thank you enough for being here and, and, you know, carving out some time for us. I know you're super, super busy and with everything going on, not only just 
family, your life and your work and, and also the, the many things that you're doing within YBCA. So I definitely um, I, I thank you for being here. And I definitely want to dive into your background. And there's just so much I want to ask you. So I'm going to try and get in as much as we can. But I guess to start and to invite listeners in to your journey into how you got here, let's start a little bit with your artistry background and your journey thus far. Like what are your inspirations and, and motivations that have brought you here? Yeah, you know, that question about kind of the origin story yeah. of, of art, creativity, it's a hard one to answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, for me, it took me a long time to feel comfortable calling my, myself an artist. Mm. Um, and I think part of that is because a lot of the things I feel like a vessel for like gifts are not necessarily necessarily tangible arts. Like I think I think in kind of popular vernacular, like when, when people say arts or I'm an artist, there, there's like a reduction of what they mean by that. Like, right. you know, visual art, you know, tends to be centered. So it took me a long time to get to that word. Um, and so I, I think part of that is because some of my roots in creativity come from watching the natural world around me on our farm. I, so I'm an organic farmer by day <laughs> and in all the other hours I can squeeze in uh, my, my memory keeping work and my, my creative work. But really, I got so lucky to grow up with um, a father who identified as an artist. And he still to this day, he's constantly observing nature with what, what we call in our are my cultural background and, and religious background, beginner's mind, mm. like the Buddhist concept of evacuating the consumption mentality about knowing Ooh. and instead bearing witness to what's happening around us. Wow. And my, my father is David Masamoto. He is just, he's been farming for decades and still every day, looks at the plants that we live with and work with as living whole beings and notices things. So for me, I think that was like the spark of what it means to be an artist, to interpret mm. life and meaning around you. So that's, yeah, that, that's kind of, that, that, those are the seeds for me. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful because that, that concept of evacuating, as you said, mm. right. And the, all the consumption, but recognize then activating that awareness to do that and be more present. It's beautiful. And per your point, yeah, like those are the seeds that can awaken whole new things and every day can be kind of different. And especially, you know, starting to, as you said, interpret, right? Like what is art? And there's, I know, um, those cultural norms that shape how we even think of farming, right? And mm-hmm. farmers, those, what shapes how we imagine, how, what shapes how we define and make meaning with these, you know, larger words or even just simple concepts like farming, art, media, technology, anything like that. Like they all can be interpreted so, so differently and, and are really interdisciplinary. So it's, it's always interesting to hear those types of origin stories and how people define it for themselves. Absolutely. And I, I think what you're speaking to is, is 
uh, one of your amazing gifts is how to inhabit the porousness mm. of and and the the movement between all of these fields. And I I love the connection between agriculture and and how we think about arts. Yeah. Right? We we use we use um, agricultural words all the time. Fields. I mean, we we literally. What does it mean to be part of a field? Is it a place? It's a cycle. It's an ecosystem. It's it's cycles of belonging, circles of 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 seasons and cycles. Anyway, I seeds, I, roots. Yes, yeah, yes. like all of the. That's so true. I never even, I didn't put those together. But you're you're absolutely right. And it's, I watched your TED talk, um, reigniting the soul of farming, and was just. I couldn't get close enough to the TV. I was kind of like leaned back, like in the chair first. And then like with every minute and every sentence, I just got closer and closer and, and just wanted to hold you and hug you and felt so connected and literally text a girlfriend of mine was like, I need to start farming. <laughs> and I was just like, you understand and, and sent her your video and the website. And so there's a few things in there that I just, I wrote on post-its that I know I'm never going to take down where you also mentioned, um, what was it? The, the, that origin and that existential question that people ask themselves, right? When they go on that path, like why farm, you know, like why blank, why anything? Right. Yeah. yeah. So for folks who haven't, um, listened to it, I'll just ask you why farm? Yeah. That question comes up quite frequently. Uh, and, 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 it's a the question itself, I think, is a healthy one because it it gets us whatever it is, you know, why create media, why mm -hmm. work with arts organizations, why write, why teach, you know, all of these things get us to uh, ask questions about purpose. And when we get clear about purpose, we can do well to align our values and actions. It, it, you're so right. And there was something that you said, like in the beginning where I was just like, oh, I wish more people said this out loud, where it's, you said, quote, I came to accept the reality that part of my job is to make mistakes. And I think that is so important for all of us to understand that because we, everything is so fast. Mm -hmm. And in that acceleration is somehow it's become intertwined and connected with this need of perfection and being a hundred percent all the time, which is not only unattainable, but unhealthy. And so can you elaborate on that? And the, the freedom to make mistakes and granting yourself the space to even do so and how coming on the back end of it is actually very freeing and, mm -hmm. and liberating because through the learning process. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Tanisha, for that question. There, definitely in a lifetime of farming. Oh, every every year, there are so many things uncontrollable, like being held accountable to mistakes. You know, um, fumbling through mistakes is is absolutely part of part of my day to day life. Um, but what I think you're 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 pointing to is like some of the conversations we've been having in the YBCA 10 have been about really deep unearthing and unlearning of some of those, of, of so many of those ideologies that extract out of us. And I think 
the idea of perfectionism of of not being allowed to make mistakes is is absolutely part of that you know who 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 said who created the myth right that we as quote unquote adults you know as we age there's like this linear path away from play and mistakes right which i think i mean children i hope are encouraged to make mistakes and are are mistakes their mistakes are embraced because that's mm-hmm. that's how we learn and it's so interesting to me that we have constructed notions of adulthood that are seemingly devoid of mistakes or only understanding of mistakes in punitive ways yeah. Yeah. right like what, yeah. what it's like when did, did how how did when did that happen you're so true yeah it's like why and it's it, the imposter syndrome is something that's always come up in, in our conversations and how to kill that monster, right? And how, and being able to silence that by accepting mistakes and knowing that it is okay and is a learning opportunity. So can you describe the kind of the process of finding your voice and in doing so that, you know, mistakes is, is, is part of that growth and, and play, honestly, like you said, with like mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that I think of myself as at all um, comfortable with my mistakes. <laughs> um, but I will say some of the reorientation of my life. I, so I've, I've been farming full time for uh, over a decade now. And I grew up on the same place. This is the same. I'm, I'm sitting right now in my home that I share with my wife that my Jichan and Bachan, my grandparents built this home. <laughs> and so part of making this pathway a lived practice has been for me about understanding, I mean, just I'm continually relearning this, the way in which we are part of integrated living systems, integrated living circles. So when I think about this in relationship to play and making mistakes, and maybe we can think of those as one and the same. Yeah. I think about the way in which, you know, when you think about your work in the context of life-giving plants, of nourishment, you're also thinking about your work in the context of death and cycles of life and death and life and death and life and death. So part of the making of the mistakes is a reinvigoration of what it means to be alive, that we have the honor of making mistakes as impractical, dreaming, aspirational human beings, (laughs) right? That is beautiful. Yeah. So that, I, don't, I don't know if that answers your question. But it that, does. It does. That lived practice and giving ourselves the honor to make those mistakes and giving us the and play. Maybe they're interchangeable, like you said. And it's it's just a beautiful response because that lived practice, that notion and that concept of that is. Is beautiful and is. Not only humbling, but it's, it's I got relaxed when you said that, mm. Mm. like I exhaled. And I've got this, it's okay. And I've got warm and just relaxed. 
And it's a beautiful gesture and a beautiful gesture we should give to ourselves. And it's hard, I guess, when, you know, the hustle and bustle and and having to provide and do things. And it all kind of speaks to those systems and structures in place throughout society that we have to work in spite of Mm -hmm. to try and grant ourselves that exhale and to have a, a lived practice. And so can you speak a little bit about your work and the art and um, the projects that you're doing and how you're looking at those things as a way to kind of dismantle and combat some of these systems, whether it be through your memory work or through farming? Yeah, I just, I just want to hold what you said for a little, little longer, mm-hmm. Tanisha. Um, what a gift of your presence and listening to exhale, breathe together. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. So your question about sharing more about the way art creativity moves, I, I feel very moved right now to share of a moment, something that um, as Daryl, who's one of in our cohort, mm-hmm. you know, reminded us that sometimes art is is small, messy, and organic. Um, <laughs> There is a, there's a project that I'm part of that I'm very proud of. And I'm also so excited to see these organic, messy um, um, manifestations of, of shared energy, not, not necessarily proprietary energy, but just that collective shared energy. So one of the, the projects that I've been involved with is, um, we call it Yonsei Memory Project, Yonsei being fourth generation Japanese American. And in our community, um, as a result of immigration policy, a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us share a similar generation, meaning it was our great grandparents who immigrated to the United States from Japan. So there's an interesting, there's some interesting questions in our community about what does it mean to do intentional work through the lenses of generations. And just in the past couple of weeks, there has been this beautiful revival momentum. So some of what we have witnessed in our lifetimes in the Japanese American community in our region of the Central Valley of California is, um, you know, with a, a lot of hidden ideologies of where success is, there has been an exodus of young people from our region that we, and, and, and this also resonates with my, my identities as a rural person. There's, there's all of these hidden agendas that we, we accidentally teach our youth that you know, success is always somewhere urban, it's always somewhere else. So this Yonsei Memory Project has kind of been birthed out of these questions about you know, what do we have to offer as Yonsei, as, as fourth generation, mm-hmm. and what can, can can we create a, a critical mass of enough people to pledge to be memory keepers that we don't forget the vibrancy of the community that was here at one point and is now changing? So this is a long pretext, but it, it's important because all of these questions about how do we sustain ourselves as a community, you know, how do we foster inclusiveness 
and belonging. And I say this as a queer Japanese American who has felt very excluded in many settings. So all of these questions, like, like how do we, how do we nourish our own sense of selves as a community? There's some of us who are starting to just like dive in and just do stuff. So just a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine who is the owner and manager of a small independent grocery store in a food desert. Um, and it is the only Japanese American grocery store in the Central Valley. Um, Morgan, he, he gave me a call and said, and asked me if I would assemble a group of people to dance once again in the streets of Chinatown. His, his um, store is in mm -hmm. Chinatown, which is both Japantown and Chinatown. Our, our Asian American community was um, because of redlining, because of racism kind of confined to this sense. one area. A story, similar story in a lot of places. So just a couple of weeks ago, I found myself dressed in the kimono that I have inherited from my bachan, my grandmother in the streets on a hot evening. It was like 107 degrees in Fresno. And I am dancing to the song Obon no Uta in Japanese. I don't know what the words mean, but I know what it feels like. Most important. And our community has not danced that song for a decade wow. in this place. Wow. And so that sense of creation, it's organic, it's messy. I, I, who's in charge? I don't know. I'm just showing up with all I know, my, my incomplete diasporic knowledge, right? Like I don't speak Japanese. That was taken from our community because of the shame associated with being Japanese during World War II. And yet I still feel at home mm. in the words in Japanese washing over my body and, you know, inhabiting these movements, this dance that I've known since I was four years old. So that's just like a sliver of the type of work that I am so both encouraged by and desperate for. Desperate for. Wow. I'm just picturing it in my head right now and have just the brightest like manifestation of joy imagining it. That is so, so beautiful and nothing I've ever seen before. And so the sustainability of what you're doing and through that lived practice and I think is it's humbling and it's beautiful. And I think it's much more for me, like I, that sounds like something like I can embrace and sustain as opposed to like a larger idea, like I'm going to fix the world's problems, right? Like, but through the going in the streets and dancing to recognized vibes and feelings with recognized people and in a generational kimono and listening to the words that may not know but have heard it for decades and decades and doing movement like that feels like it's not only still contributing mm -hmm. and it's sustainable and it's 
play and it's fun. And it's so many of these other beautiful things that I feel like we can redirect our attention to, as opposed to focusing like so much on like the larger infrastructures and these institutional narratives and systems and stuff that are so hard to, to combat and to dismantle. Like we can control what we can control and you're doing that. And that's something I feel like more of us should try and redirect our attention to and the things that we can control and making an impact where we can and where we can see it and hope that that seed spreads and grows and others do the same because then maybe we have a chance. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. what I'm thinking. That's what I believe anyway. I'm, I'm hearing in your description and you're parsing out of like the way in which, you know, our language is powerful. So like markets and, yeah. and you, you use the word, I think, combat, right? This is like a, a mm-hmm. fighting, you know, military like word. Um, and then there's something that you're describing that sounds restorative. Yeah. It sounds regenerative. I think mm-hmm. you used that word at the, at the beginning, you know, there's something um, life nourishing about some of the ways in which we can still claim space as people of color, mm-hmm. as queer folks, as immigrant people who have um, are descendants of immigrants, as allies to native people. There's a way that we can still claim space and yes. embody power and change the frame. So mm. that when it doesn't feel right to fight, mm. we can dance. Yes, we can dance and it can be messy and, <laughs> and small. And that's, that's art. I, and I love it. We can dance. It's beautiful. I listened to your spoken word poem, uh, my field of dreams. Mm. And, and by that point, I was like, this close to the camera screen <laughs> to the to the screen it was just like yes yes and the roller coaster of emotion that went through in your performance mm-hmm. breathtaking and your jichan am i saying that correctly yes your grandpa your hero yeah. you shared that story about him where you described it as farming to rehabilitate the soil and himself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. huge because when left camp from world war ii right coming back to central valley i think you said literally planting roots in a country that just told him that he didn't belong and that is an act of radical resilience to rehabilitate the soil and himself through feeding people and that is something that that grounds you every day mm-hmm. I, I had to pause it then and just have that moment because it was not only just so beautiful, but then recognizing too that not because it makes your Jichan a hero, but because everyone should be able to be that hero and recognize that. Just huge. And it made me think so much about my own father and the generations prior that I did not meet and don't know a lot about. Um, I only knew one grandparent, um, the rest that they had passed before I was born, but through just hearing stories and stuff. And it makes me reflect in that, wow, I wish I knew more. And 
you I want to blame myself for not paying attention more when you're a kid or when I was a kid. Right. And when they would tell stories like, oh, you look so much like, you know, your your great grandmother, Sue Indian, you look so much like her and you're because I'm much lighter in complexion than the, my parents and my brother. And so they're like, oh, the, the Sue came out in you mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and like you look like Dosha, like, wow. And we came from this part of Texas. And and, you know, I'm just thinking of all the many years I was just like, meh meh and you know as a rebellious teenager and undergrad and when for you has was this always the case where you were always paying attention to those memory keeping and the Mm. the stories of your your elders and in within your family and if anyone else is having one of those like hindsight damn, I missed my opportunity moments. Like what, what would you say about that? And like how you Mm. are using your family's roots literally in, in what you're doing every day. Mm. Tunisia, that's a, that's a huge question. It's a beautiful question. Um, When I'm listening to you describe your multi-generational mixed heritage of many different places and peoples. Um, my impulse is to want to offer my a hug <laughs> and just offer, I believe truly that when people convert from people who share the same earth with us to ancestors, they get a second life through us. Mm. And I don't think that that is full of guilt. It doesn't have to be bearing guilt or demands. It can be a seed waiting to sprout when you're ready, when we're ready. And so to, to bring that, I just, I just want to offer that. That's, that's just something that I really believe that has helped comfort me in those moments where I too have said, damn, I didn't, how come I didn't ask that question? Mm -hmm. And of course, I also think there's a very sobering part of being a person of color in this country where there has been so much concerted effort, like technologies of racism to produce silence, to Mm. produce invisible, invisibilizing of our peoples. So I have begun to think about some of the erasure, some of the fragmentation of ancestral memory in different ways as I get older. As in, 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 in an interesting way, I was just talking with my wife about this. My wife, I met her three years after my Jichan passed away. So she, she never met him. And yet she just the other day said, kind of unprompted, we were just Mm -hmm. talking about family stuff and that she said that she feels like she met him. Wow. Because we as artists, and I mean, small A artists, not capital A, like all of us as humans, the very act of asking the question and sitting in wonder of your ancestor, Dosha, even just uttering a name, I hope I said that name correctly, mm-hmm. 
and sitting in those silences and letting those questions hang in the air, that still is giving us life, giving our ancestors life. And I think for me, particularly in my embodied life as a mixed race person who, who's part of my family is white, part of my family is Japanese American, and I have had many experiences in the world, both of beautiful wholeness as a mixed person, and then also of ripping, of, of trauma, of sadness, and of um, the weight of understanding and feeling. I can feel when I'm passing as white. I can feel it. And then I know when something changes, my name is read, um, I'm bilingual if I speak and not, and not in English, like when my body automatically changes and in some context, depending on what I'm wearing, if I'm wearing my farm clothes, I'm, I'm absolutely read as a person of color. And so I think that some of that experience from very early on led me to ask explicitly a lot of questions about ancestry. That was a long-winded answer, but no, so <laughs> I, that for me has been both the seed of, of, of real pain, mm -hmm. but also it's like, it's like the calling into the work, like the lifestyle yeah. that you mentioned before, like, this is not, we're not checking off a list. I'm not yeah. trying to get a good grade. Yeah. I'm trying to reconcile the way in which racism has choreographed my life mm. in a way that doesn't make me feel like an imposter, but makes me feel whole. Mm -hmm. And so some of those questions about holding space for ancestors on both sides, um, that has been very, um, that has allowed me space to write the story that serves, serves me. So I, I just, I hope Tanisha, I know mm. that you have so many crafts, particularly in storytelling, in asking questions, in, at least from what I know of your work, kind of translation yeah. from different, through different contexts of storytelling about mm -hmm. work, about people, about, about um, things happening in, through different mediums. I hope that you feel supported in whatever you need to continue to ask questions in that ancestral dream state that we get to be in. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. That is beautiful. I know you're like, you're gonna make me cry. I'm like, oh, thank you for saying that. Because <laughs> <laughs> that even while you were talking about that, living through that lived pain of that, mm -hmm. that our ancestors went through, and it wasn't until much older and going to college now and learning more and reading more. And then I even realized while getting my PhD I've, in my entire life, I've only had three black teachers. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what have I been taught? Mm -hmm. Have mm -hmm. I been a part of this in some way? Because I don't, wasn't in charge of the book. Right. And so it, that ancestral knowledge and passed down experiences through now, as you said, you know, the, the society that is racially or choreographed through racism and implemented that way, it's 
exhausting, but can be when that space is created and your people are found, those that see you and value you, give us the floor to dance in spite of and do it kind of with, you know, a tongue out and a middle finger up my hand. (laughs) (laughs) You thought you you tried, but I'm still here. It's beautiful. It just, what you said just made me think about that. And yeah, how all of our practices, how all of our work through Mm -hmm. art and translation, communication, um, can help serve those things in a way that allows us to control what we can control Mm -hmm. through our own secret sauce, our own little recipe. Yeah, that's beautiful. Tanisha, if if I can ask a question of you, I'm just so curious when you think back on, on all of your experiences, are there stories that you return to that give you that space of mm. like, you know, it's like, it's like holistic rebellion or what, mm. you know, that space yeah. that, that are, you know, all of that belonging that we all deserve, you know, are there yeah. stories of things that you experienced or that you stories passed down, like re-energize you to make those spaces? That's, oh, that's such a great question. I am so, I think my whatever every day, like my mom is an OG. She <laughs> is an OG from Selma, Alabama. She'll be 76 next month. Black Panther traveled when her, she was about 16, went to San Francisco, did all the things. She's an OG. Like she, <laughs> and she doesn't take crap from anyone. And having such a strong black woman in the house every day and sacrificing, enduring pain for her children. Mm. So they didn't have to. And I remember I had an ex that I was upset about or whatever when we broke up and I was all mopey and just like, <laughs> and just like the world is over. And and she recognized that, like, I wasn't doing the things that I wanted to do anymore. I was, you know, just depressed. And she looked at me in the mirror as she was like doing her makeup and putting on heels to even just go to the grocery store or something. Cause <laughs> that's who she is. She was just like, Tunisia, don't let anybody take your smile. Mm. Fuck that. She was like, you do not put up with, she was like, I raised you. Yeah. Fuck them. <laughs> and everyone <laughs> yes. literally in those words and just like, and anyone else, who says you are not allowed to like something, love something, do something, fuck them. She was like, you do it in spite of, and then, and literally, and then do it twice. So that you could be like, see, and she, after she said that, I was just like, wow. And I remember since then, and that was 15 years ago, maybe anytime I've been in a situation where if my from something as small as like if my order is wrong all the way to you know i'm being overcharged on a bill or something or i can't get this house or an application or something right and when i could turn around and just and just accept it and say like whatever her voice comes in my head and i don't want to disappoint her and i remember i was trying to take a class and they said oh it's full and i was just like well, I paid tuition. I'm getting in that class. I don't care. (laughs) It's like, I'm so I never want to let her down. 
And that's something that just always sticks in my head where she's just like, you do not take shit because you're my daughter. And remember that. And that's enough to put on any headless. She's like, you're my daughter and we don't take shit. That was it. <laughs> I remember that. And I, that, I to this beautiful. day, everything. I try and lead with that. Even when there's like the days that I can't or just like, oh, it's so hard. But eventually I get up because of that voice. Mm. I have chills, literally. <laughs> Me too. What an inheritance. Yeah. Totally beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you for asking me that. Huge. No, I know we can talk all day. <laughs> and I <laughs> hope we, we get more to. Yes, but I, <laughs> we will get more and more and more opportunities to do so. Um, and I want to be cognizant of your time and, and respectful of that and, and the space Likewise. that you granted me. So thank you. I do. I guess in closing to wrap up, what um, do you want to share any other ongoing projects that you might be having going on or how can um, and what what is being in this 10 cohort in this community that, you know, we've we've shout out Daryl and and we hope to have many of them on here as well to have these one on ones. But what does this this 10 cohort community mean to you and share anything else you've got going on? Mm. Thank you, Tanisha. Oh my gosh, this time has been so energizing. Um, this is beautiful. I, I came in from the tractor and was in a flurry of rushing. And so to get to pause with you, has been so fulfilling, so fulfilling. Um, it is so hard to summarize what the YBCA 10 has meant this far. And, and we're only, you know, less than halfway through mm -hmm. our experience really but i can say i have not met in person many of the cohort you know and and, and all of the amazing people supporting us yourself mm -hmm. included I, we've never met in person and yet every single time i have an interaction most thus far it has mostly been uh, virtual looking forward to more in person soon but um most of it has been virtual and despite the you know dehumanizing <laughs> the, the way that boxes and two dimensions <laughs> and screens and internet connections can you know sometimes get in the way of human presence mm. every time we gather is feels like to me a real sacred space a sacred space where people are sharing deep yearning for healing deep offerings of visions and dreams and energies and expertise and skills and some of what I feel like is transpiring is it feels like we are developing a different language for how to get to our futures of generations to come. And I don't mean only linguistic language. I mean, mm. movement. I mean, process. I mean, presence. I mean, architecture, um, all of the different disciplines and undisciplines that we share together. 
So I am so honored and excited and that good dose of scared mm. <laughs> of the way our work is pushing me to think about what I can contribute um, and what we can offer that may just transform people's lives. That's where I'm feeling right now about our, our cohort. So beautiful. So beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for making me warm and feel a bit more whole than I was when I originally sat down mm. I feel stable. And I thank you for that. And thank you for sharing so much with us about your everything and your journey and, and that lived practice that, that we all, and dancing. Yes. I'm, I'm dancing <laughs> in spite but yeah, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. So good. Mm. We welcome feedback from our community and invite you all to reach out to us here at YBCA. Visit us at YBCA.org for more information regarding not only the 10, but all of the various programs, opportunities, and events we are hosting that generate culture that moves people. Your support of YBCA fuels new paths forward for artists like Nikiko, serving the needs of their community bringing connection, hope, and possibility through their creative enterprises. Links to make a contribution will also be provided in the description box and can be found on our website as well. So please be sure to sign up for our newsletter to not miss out on any of the latest information, news, and updates. And to get a behind the scenes perspective of all things art and activism, follow us on social media at YBCA on both Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for listening.